Well, welcome everybody, and I'm glad to be here with you in this beautiful part of the world. Man, I'm from Arizona. I don't, if you want to understand Arizona, think Texas with a low self-esteem. It's like being surrounded by kitty litter, but, but it has a haunting beauty of its own, but man, nothing like this. This is really something. And I'm been honored to work with your wonderful team that you have here. You've selected some fine people to lead the way here at your church. Um, what I want to do, if, if you'll give me uh, the next half hour or so of your, of your time, I want to use it to talk to you about the time that will be waiting for you from here on out. You see, time surrounds us. Uh, <laughs> Time has a, has a, the time we've lived has a way of stalking us and trying to define us. And the, and the time waiting out there has a way of beckoning us, sometimes keeping us anxious about getting there and seeing what it has waiting for us. Time can demand what we do, but if we take another look at it from a different angle, it can also force us to decide who we are. You know, time took on a whole new role when somebody finally invented a device that knew how to measure it and keep it accurately. Did you know the very first a clock tower was erected in a German town in, 13, in the 1380s? And ever since then, uh, the dominant role that time has played is that of dictating what we're supposed to be doing at any given moment in our life. And, and that's the way it tends to uh, uh, deal with us right now. And, and when it comes to telling time, usually all we have to do is just flick our wrist and take a peek. I, I, uh, you have a lot of options when you do that, and I, I want to show you some. Put up this one here. It's the Casio watch. 13 bucks on Amazon. It, it runs about a year and a half. It's on a battery. Uh, it's prone to fail, but then again, it's only $13. I always wonder what those little buttons are for. Or you can try this. How about this one here? No, go back on. Uh, oh, the, there should be a Timex watch coming up here. It's got a, 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 a tan band on it. Do you have, there you go. I mean, this one here, I think it's an upgrade aesthetically. Runs about 50 to 60 bucks. I think it looks nice with a suit. Still has a battery, so it can let you down, but it's a lot less prone to failure than that Casio. Then let's go to that, that, that chrome tag hour. Now, that's not a great, it's not coming through as good a, as it looks. I mean, this is a, actually a handsome watch. This is a real upgrade. Place at the bottom for date and functions. It's an automatic watch. It has this weighted a uh, wheel that spins around in the back and it tightens a spring that releases a, 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 at a very steady uh, level so it maintains, it stores energy. And as long as you keep it moving sometime during the day, this thing will just keep running on and on. I think this is a, we're getting to the heirloom level of watches with this one. This is nice, if you take good care of it, you can pass it down to, maybe a father could pass it down to a son. Now let's move up to crazy level. This is, a, this is an IWC. This is an international, made by the International Watch Company. They've been making uh, timepieces since the late 1800s. 
has the days of the week, um, the day of the week and the days of the month, but some days, you know, some months have 31, 30, 20. It knows which one it is. Make sure it's there. So there's a little mechanical dials. And it also knows what year it is. And, and of course, the year is 365 and one quarter days long. So every fourth year we have to leap it, and it knows to add an extra day to February. And depending on the precious metal you choose, this thing starts about $40,000. This particular model runs $42,000. Let's do one more. This is the Vacheron Constantine Tour de Lille. It has 36 functions, what they call complications. You say, wait a minute, that's two watches. No, that's the front and the back of the same watch. They need the two separate faces to accommodate all these functions or complications. It has a date and time and time zone and the power reserve on one side. It also has a, a moon face there, so, and, it, it, and it knows what, what, uh, what phase of the moon is in any given month. And on the back dial, among other things, there's a celestial chart, and they'll equip it to correspond to the sky over where you live. How much do you think this one is? Come on. How much? I can't hear. I, I listen to rock and roll way too loud for too long. How much? 100,000? Come on. Hmm. Listen, the Vacheron Constantine Tour de Lille, with its 36 functions, 840 moving parts, the 10,000 hours went into designing it, can be yours for one and a half million dollars. $1.5 million. So you can get an accurate read on what time it is for $13 or $1.5 million. But there's one thing that none of these timepieces can do. They can't add a minute, an hour, or a day to your life. Jesus weighed in on this. In the Sermon on the Mount, he, he, was, he, had, he, had, he had started dialing in on how anxious people were and how they were worried about so many things, things that many times the whole ticking clock of life is, 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 is reminding me, how am I going to eat? When am I going to eat? And, and, and where, what about clothing? And how am I going to take care of this? And, and he, he weighed in on this. He said in, in Matthew 6, 27, he says, and which of you? by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life. And then, as he was trying to bring his thing down to a, a major point, a punchline, a bottom line, he says in verse 33, he says, look, if you, want, if you want to have the right perspective on time, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these other things are going to be added to you. God knows those needs we have. You know, when we shift from looking at time as a setting on our watch to instead seeing it as the most precious, intangible commodity that we have, it tends to cause us to reflect, to take an inventory, and it should. Yeah, you know, when you look at it from that perspective, you start thinking, well, how am I doing with the time that I'm living? How's my career going? How about relationships? How am I doing with my spouse, my kids, my grandkids? How am I doing with the Lord? You know, there's a, uh, in, in the whole collection of psalms, there's one unique psalm in there that 
It's actually written by Moses. And if anybody had a better perspective on time, it, it was him. Because, I mean, he was stuck out there in the wilderness with people, and the clock was ticking, but he never knew when they were going to come out of there. And so he was more concerned with how they lived their life out in the wilderness, <laughs> waiting for God to rescue them and bring them to the promised land. And he says, he said this, he says, teach us to number our days that we might gain a heart of true wisdom. Uh, 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 one of my, a dear pastor friend of mine, a colleague of mine named Don Sanukian was preaching on this one time, and I remember he summarized his teaching on this verse by, when he said, Moses is reminding us that, is that when death is certain, life becomes rich. I'm not trying to be morbid here, but there's just a little point of this message I, I think we need to dial in on this part of the whole equation. You know, in, 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 uh, back in the Roman Empire, when Roman generals would go out and conquer uh, 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 a group of people, and they, they often would bring back some of the captured soldiers, and especially if they had the, the, uh, the captured general or the king that they'd taken over, and they'd bring them back in rags and, 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 and humiliation, and they would parade them through town, through Rome, and the people would be out there, and then on a big uh, thing being carried was this general that, uh, that had conquered them. And everybody would be throwing things of accolades and so forth at the general. But one of the things that they, they, they consistently did is there was a guy behind the general. And he would cons consistently say over and over again, say it in into his ear, memento more, memento more, memento more, as he's hearing all these applause. And what that says is, remember, you too will die. It was to keep perspective. There's a great line in that fabulous chick movie, Braveheart, <laughs> where William Wallace says, every man dies, but not every man really lives. See, I'm convinced that the two things that keep us more inclined to use our time wisely is the ongoing knowledge that we will eventually run out of time, that we will die, while simultaneously measuring everything we're doing against the backdrop of an eternity that we're offered because of the price that Jesus paid with his blood to buy our lives back, to give us eternal life. Because even though our physical lives die, we, our souls don't. They continue on, and when we keep that eternal perspective against the backdrop of a ticking clock, it's amazing how we're more inclined to pay attention to how we're using our time. A great passage that drives home this influence uh, of these two things, is of, of, of death and eternity, was written, uh, it's not labeled as it's written by David, but if you study it, you'll realize it has portions of Psalms that David had already written, and, 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 and it's more a compilation of them of David as a very old man looking back. And although David had made a lot, a lot of mistakes against the backdrop of a ticking clock, as he looks back on it, he, he has this perspective now. He's more about the time, that you, how you live your, your life. He says in Psalm 71, verses 17 and 18, Since my youth, O God, you have taught me, and to this day I declare your marvelous deeds. And even when I'm old and gray... 
Do not forsake me, O God, until I declare your power to the next generation, your might to all who are to come. He was more concerned that he used the time he had left to touch the people coming up behind him that were going to be still there when he's gone. It was that kingdom mindset that Aaron reminded us of during our welcome. Because we have a chance to take the time we have left and live it to make, uh, live a life that makes a difference. Focused outwards rather than inwards. I think the ticking clock inclines us to focus inwards. It's about us and the moment that we're in. It, 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 when, when we're looking at how we want to spend our time, we're more, we're more inclined to prioritize the relational things over the material things. But when we're just looking at a ticking clock, the material starts to really gain a hold in our life. And without debate, the most strategic place, I think, to establish a bedrock legacy that is sure to last forever is by creating and maintaining, listen to this, heart connection with our spouse, our children, our grandchildren, and doing everything we can to help other people do the same thing. Here's the problem in the standard marriage. This is just an observation. It's not a put down of anybody. We all struggle with the same issues. You get married, and you know, we've been to the weddings, and you can just see, boy, these two people are, are absolutely crazy in love with each other. And then life comes at them. Careers, children, expenses, setbacks, some medical issues, all that stuff. And you know what? It's real easy to do. I don't care who you are and how committed you were on the front side of your marriage, the, even the best of marriages, because they get so wrapped up in, in the things that are coming at them as, uh, against the backdrop of a ticking clock, that, that they move from, uh, see, when we, when we get married, we're, supposed to, we're signing up to write a love story. That's what we're signing up to, write a love story with your, with your, with your marriage. But, but these, these things come at us, and they distract us, the next thing you know, we end up writing a roommate story with occasional benefits. And it doesn't mean that, you know, that, that anybody meant to do this, it just happens. Or we write a, well, at least we didn't get a divorce story. I, I went to a, a 50th an celebration of a 50th anniversary for a couple, and I thought, well, yeah, I mean, it's a milestone, they've lasted long, but, but they hadn't had a love story going for about 40, 40 years. And, 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 and my heart was sad for what it could have been and then, when it comes to our role as parents, I was telling a group yesterday, if somebody pinned me down and said, what's the role, what's the ultimate role of a Christian parent? Uh, food, clothing, shelter, health, education, welfare, that goes without saying, any parent has to do that. But I would put it this way, the, 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 the role of a, of, a, of a Christian parent is to connect to the heart of your child in such a way that it makes it a lot easier for them to ultimately connect to the heart of God. So heart connection, once again, assumes that we're paying attention to how we're living our life, not so much what we're doing in any given moment. And I think the thing that Jesus offers us when it comes to being able to do that is his heart of grace. As we become parents, families that are guided by God's truth, all the while tempered by his grace. 
It's such, it's such a huge mistake to think that the most effective legacy we leave behind for our family is a financial one, or a famous one, or a lifestyle one. And it's real easy because of the demands that the clock puts on us to try and put far more inside a minute, an hour, or a day, or a week than they were really designed to hold. And the next thing you know, we're struggling with what's called the, uh, what I like to call the hurried lifestyle. The very first book I ever wrote was about this, Little House on the Freeway, <laughs> Help for the Hurried Home. And one of the points I made is that, that in there is that you know, Satan was trying to figure out, how do I get a foothold in these Christians' lives? And, and, and he said, I'll get them to turn their back on the Bible. That wouldn't work. We're committed. I'll get them to turn their back on each other. No, we're, we're the church. We're going to stand on, uh, on their family. No, no, no. That wouldn't work. He figured out, you know what? None of these are going to work. He figured out, I don't have to make any of these Christians bad. I just have to make them too busy. That's all I have to do. And I can steal their calling card as followers of Jesus. I can steal their joy. And it does. When these clocks run our life, we have a chance to use time, the time we have left, to create a legacy that ultimately never dies. It keeps on passing blessings on long after we're gone. Now, you might think, that's a little overstatement, Kimmel. Come on. Really? After we're dead and gone, what, how we lived our life can still... Well, I don't want to be a name dropper, but God said, in Deuteronomy chapter 7, uh, he, 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 uh, the, the Ten Commandments are in uh, Exodus ch chapter 20, and then they're repeated again in Deuteronomy 7. And, and in there, uh, he, he, he's, uh, God is saying, Know therefore that the Lord your God, he is a faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those individually who love him and keep his commandments. So our, how we live our life has a half-life that just continues on and on and on, generation after generation. And when it comes to leaving a legacy that never dies, I want to suggest three principles that if you practice them first and foremost on a people closest to you and in fact, anybody that you encounter, I, I'm telling you, the, your personal eternal stock value and your family's is, is going to go up, and it's more likely to stay there. And the first principle we need to embrace is that the best use of life is love. The best way we can spend our time, time we have left, is being determined and deliberate about loving the people God puts in our life. The Bible reminds us that, 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 uh, that to, to let love be our greatest aim. The Apostle Paul makes this point when he says, no matter what I say, what I believe, what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. That's from 1 Corinthians 13. Without love, life is worthless. And that's why we're all wiser to spend our waking hours showing our love to the people that make up our life. To see, it, it, it's, it's relationships, not achievements or acquisitions of things that matter the most in the long run. 
Because love outlasts time. Love has a capacity, as I said, to impact eternity. Therefore, love is the one thing we can do now that actually lasts forever. We can send it down through the generations after us. And the fact, the Bible makes this point. Once again, back in 1 Corinthians 13, he says, these three things continue forever, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. And I think it helps if we pin down a, a precise definition of love because we use it so much. And I think I have one here that, uh, this is the one that my wife and I kind of dialed in on to, for ourselves. Do you have that up there? Love is the commitment of my will. Do you have that one? Yes. Love is the commitment of my will to your needs and best interests, regardless of the cost. And when that is the kind of love we're bringing center stage to the people God puts in our life, it changes everything because love is the secret of a lasting heritage. And no one knows this more than the people who surround us in our family pictures. People we either made better or bitter based on how we handled our commitment to love them. And when we someday make our way to our eternal destiny, we'll leave all of our stuff behind. The Bible says the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Speaking of the long-term impact we make against the backdrop of a ticking clock, if I pinned you down, could you name the last three Heisman Trophy winners? The last three winners of The Voice? The last three Academy Award winners for Best Actor and Actress? There was a moment in time when they were recognized. No, we can't do that. But I'll bet you I could go one at a time to you, and if I asked you, who's the teacher or one or two teachers who made a huge impact on your journey through school? You'd name them right off. Or that friend or two that helped you through difficult times, or, 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 or two people, one or two people who believed in you so much that it made you a better person. Every one of you could tell me those names. Now, let me qualify those something. When, when we're talking about love, keep in mind here, this call to love people is not just to those people who love us back. See, the standard love that we tend to enjoy showing, it, like it or not, we don't realize it, it's very transactional. It's a transactional form of love. We tend to love people who love us back. Unfortunately, uh, if they stop loving us back, we can uh, reciprocate and unfriend them if it gets bad enough. But that's because that kind of love is emanating from the love that we get as human beings. All human beings have a capacity to love because we were all made in God's image and God is love. We all have that capacity, but the love I'm talking about here is not a love that emanates from us. It's a love that emanates from God's heart himself, through us to other people. Jesus weighed in on this. Look at this in Luke chapter 6, verses 35 and 36. I tell you, love your enemies. Help and give without expecting a return. You'll never, I promise, regret it. Live out this God-created identity the way our Father lives towards us, generously and graciously, even when we're out of sorts. Our Father is kind. You be kind. 
But these times really test this. I'm an outsider looking in when it comes to the state of Washington. I'm from a state that's dealing with some of these issues we've been dealing with a little differently than you are. But we still have our issues down there too. But I, I, I just want to say to all of us here that this past year and a half, I think, has really tested our call to love each other. I think we've probably all struggled and maybe even been guilty of letting these, no one's questioning these are real issues, but letting these issues become so polarized, so politicized, that it causes us to look at other people through a lens that is contrary to the heart of Jesus and what he's called us to be. I have seen, look, let, let's be honest with ourselves. This past year and a half has tested the relationship between brothers and sisters in Christ, between parents and kids, between brothers and sisters, even between two people that wake up in the same bed. And, and what breaks my heart the most is how we've, we've allowed a media, which by the way, you gotta keep in mind, the media can only exist if it keeps you angry. It thrives on conflict. It only exists if it can keep us polarized. Talk radio is the same way. And so if we, if we feed on this enough, next thing you know, we're taking people who we should know better and writing them off as morons or sock puppets of a certain political agenda and things like that. And, and it's heartbreaking, I think, to the Savior when he sees how much blood he poured out on our behalf to call us to something bigger and better. I've seen this divide churches. Now, all that said, the issues on both sides are, are very serious issues. I have a daughter who is a nurse practitioner at Mayo Hospital in, in, in Phoenix, Arizona, and she works in the ICU. And she has closed the eyes of a lot of people in the past year and a half who died of COVID. I have a son who's a captain on the Phoenix fire, uh, uh, captain uh, in, in the Phoenix Fire Department, and he's closed the eyes on several people who died of a reaction to the, to the vaccine. Both of them come at this from very different, my, our daughter Shiloh's husband has been struggling with, with cancer for the past nine years, lymphoma, he's very fragile. And she has, she's passionate about our need to make sure we, 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 we've, we've protected ourselves with vaccines and, and when we protect ourselves with vaccines. And my, my son on the other side, he sees a very different view on this thing. And, he, and, and, and he, he isn't vaccinated because of that, because he's concerned. Okay, the problem is when you are one or the other and you look at the other person and think they've lost their mind. People on both sides... They, they, they're not, people are not trying to be reckless. One side thinks you don't care about anyone, you just want to kill people. No, they don't. And the other side says, you're just not looking at all the facts. And yes, they are. 
You see, when it's all said and done, why can't we show honor and respect and love and kindness to these people that we just disagree with on this? But let's not let this break us apart. We are committed to each other. And it's amazing, when we just let Jesus have his rightful place in our life, this wouldn't be a problem. But I think what this, is, what this is showing all of us is that we have neglected where he belongs. Because when we find ourselves want, going to these extremes and, and, and wanting to cancel people out in our life, just because we disagree with them, that does not come from Jesus having priority in our life. And by the way, Everybody's talking about cancel culture. Christians have been in the cancel culture for centuries. We have led the way in writing people off that disagree with us on sometimes the most minute little things. Look, I think orthodox theology is very important. Obviously, I'm, I, but I don't want to turn my back on loving somebody just because they might not see the same way might not be able to invite him to speak in my church, I might not want him to lead my Bible study, but, but, or I might not, you know, uh, agree with them, but that doesn't mean we don't love. We don't care. Well, the love that I'm talking about comes from Jesus. And, and here, so here's the thing, when it comes to leaving a legacy that never dies, the first principle we need to embrace is that we should live each day to love people. There's a second one, though. Second principle we need to embrace is that if we want to leave a legacy that never dies, the best way to do, to, uh, uh, the best way is to love people is with time. The importance of things can be measured by how much time we're willing to invest in the people God has called us to love. And why is giving our time so important? Well, because time is our most precious gift, because we only have a set amount of it. And nothing illustrates this reality more than the milestones that we've either experienced or will experience in the future with ourselves and our kids. Things like graduations, weddings, retirement, funerals. You know, you can make more money, but you can't make more time. And when you give someone your time, you're giving them a portion of your life. In 1 John chapter 3, it's, the Bible says, My children, our, our love should not just be words and talk. It must be true love, which shows itself in action. The essence of love is not what we think or do or provide for others, but how much we give of ourselves to others. Our best memories are of people who always had time for us. Because, see, we can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. And we ultimately see this principle lived out through the example of God himself. I mean, what's the most famous verse in the Bible? God loved the world so much that he what? He gave. He gave. Love means giving up, surrendering things like our preferences, our comfort zones, our goals, our securities, our money, our energy, our time, our political high ground for the sake of somebody else. So the best use of life is love. The best, use, best way to love is time. One more, and then we'll land the plane here. The final principle we need to embrace 
that if we want to leave a legacy that never dies, the best time to love is now. Putting off until tomorrow might be a legitimate response to some trivial, some of the trivial and meaningless tasks, but it doesn't work when it comes to love. It just doesn't. The Bible stresses this over and over again. Galatians 6, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone. Ephesians 5, use every chance you have for doing good. Proverbs 3, never tell your neighbors to wait until tomorrow if you can help them now. And why is now the best time to express love to the people God has put in your life to love? And it's because we don't know how long we'll have the opportunity to demonstrate that love to them. Circumstances change. Children grow up and move on. Friends move away. People die. None of us have any guarantees about tomorrow. Case in point, a lot of moms out here, some of you look like you've raised your kids. They've moved on. But there was a time when you came into that bedroom and you, you prayed over that child and you maybe you laid next to them and, 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 and sang them a little lullaby and you kissed them goodnight and you got up and you walked away and you didn't realize that's the last time. Some of you dads here might have had daughters or sons, and they were sitting on your lap, and you held them. You enjoyed it. And, and then they got up, and they walked away, and you didn't realize that's the last time. Because if you had, you'd say, no, 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 just stay right where you are. See, things move through that way. That's why now is the best time to seize the moment to, to, uh, that, that God gives us to love people. And so we've learned three lessons from God's word on how to use the time we have left. The best use of life is love. The best way to love is giving our time, and the best time to love is now. And the love I'm talking about, as I said, is something beyond the onboard love we all have as human beings. I'm talking about a love that emanates directly from a relationship that we personally have with God through his son, Jesus that allows his love to pass through us to people, which I think reminds us that that doesn't happen in a vacuum. That happens through, just like, just like if you want to maintain a, a love story as a, as a couple, you know what you need to do? You need to maintain pursuit of each other's hearts every day, all the way till one of you takes your last breath. In the same way, in our relationship with Jesus, he is in pursuit of our heart, but we need to stay in pursuit of his. And when we make that a daily part of our relationship with him, it's amazing how a lot of these things fall into place. And obviously, most of these opportunities to love people are going to be for people we usually know and already care for, but nothing about this sermon confines us to just those people. God calls us to have our love and time ready to give to whomever, wherever, and whenever the opportunity arises. I close with a story. It goes something like this. There was a young man who was really gifted in business. He had entrepreneur written all over him. He had had a meteoric climb in his company. He was doing very well. And he decided to treat himself, reward himself and buy a really nice car. One that had one of those kind of 
prestigious hood ornaments on it. He had to make some calls in a very uh, busy city, and he was running late, and the main thoroughfares were crowded, so he kind of worked his way around and worked through more of the poorer sections of town where there wasn't as much traffic. And he was coming down this one street with these apartments all around him, and, and there was a row of cars on this side. He came along, and all of a sudden, something thumped against the side of his car, and he hit the brakes. And he jumped out, and he looked, and there was, a, there was like half of a brick back here a ways. And then he came back to, to see what was going on, and there was a young little kid there. And the kid was just terrified of this guy. He said, you threw a brick at my car. Why did you do that? He said, sir, sir, please don't hit me. Don't hurt me. I'm so sorry. But um, I, I was taking my brother over to our grandmother. He's paralyzed. He's in a wheelchair. Uh, he, he's very heavy. But I, I, uh, we hit a crack in the thing, and he fell over onto the sidewalk. The sidewalk's blistering hot. He is, he is getting burnt so bad. But I can't lift him up. And I kept calling for somebody to help me. And I, I could, no one could hear me. But I saw your car, and I, tried to get, I had to get your attention, and I saw the brick and so I threw it and he said what are you talking about and he came walking through and sure enough there was the the the, the older brother right there and, and he came right down and he righted the the wheelchair and he picked him up and he put him in there and and all and the, and the little boy got me I'm so sorry about your car but thanks for helping me and then he went and started pushing his brother down the sidewalk and the guy stood there and watched them go they came back and he looked on the side of his car at a big dent and then he got in the car and he started to go. <sighs> and he thought, Lord, if I'm so preoccupied with my appointments, with my time, with my, my work, with my life, and there's somebody in need, and the only way you can get my attention is have them throw a brick in my car, then I am way too preoccupied. I am not paying attention. And he decided, I'm not going to repair that. I'm going to leave it right there to remind me every day that the best, that I need to, I need to be there, ready to go for whomever, whenever, and whatever they call. Oh, dear Lord, teach us to number our days that we might develop a heart of true wisdom a heart that is eager to love, glad to surrender its time, and ready to give that time to whomever, wherever, and whenever it's demanded of us. In Jesus' wonderful name, I pray. Amen. Amen.